welcome uh, to this next episode of the CSA podcast series Horizons. I'm absolutely delighted to to welcome somebody uh, who is formerly of this parish, um, uh, Dr. Graham Cross, now CEO of uh, Swan Christian Education Association, which is a significant organisation. Uh, it's large. It's um, many schools, seven of them, eight campuses, around three and a half thousand students, six hundred staff. That's a wonderful organisation, um, Graham. But you didn't always start there, so. Um, as I welcome you to, to this podcast, I, I, I hope that we might begin by exploring how on earth you, you, you got there in the first place, but that, that might be for later. But but welcome, welcome to uh, Horizons. Thank you, Rob. Really appreciate the warm welcome and it's nice to be with you today. An honour to think that you uh, you actually consider that I might have something of value to say on a podcast. I think that's wonderful. Well, let's, 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 let's explore why I asked you. To, to, to interview. So we, we met um, some years ago um, when I was undertaking a piece of research with CSA. I said piece of research. It was a study of thousands of students and their relationships. And of all the people I used to love bumping into at the, at the various kind of research meetings that, um, that were organised, those gatherings, you were, you were one of the people I always look forward to meeting. Um, Thank you. And that's not because I, you know, I enjoyed interacting with you interpersonally. It was because we had very similar in research interests and passions. That's true. Um, Absolutely. And so, I, you know, um, obviously as a social scientist, um, people know that I have extraordinarily interested in the power and impact of, of relational capital on the development of young people, their lives, but also professionals that sit around them, the types of environments um, we, we create around them. And your research interests themselves have been around social and civic development of students within within schools, within Christian schools. I wonder whether you might just begin to speak about that and and, and some of the things we began to, to to explore later on as as we met for the first time. Tell us about your studies. Tell us about your your own mm. research, Graham. So uh, I guess the PhD journey started. Um, I'd, I'd spent 17 years working with the education department and had been principal of a couple of department schools. Then I found myself in a Christian school and I worked there for eight years and towards the end of my tenure there, um, started to kind of wonder what's what's next, you know, that kind of what next question and uh, without going into all of the story uh, about how that came about, but I then felt it was uh, time to do some research and at the time, I, uh, I was involved with Christian Schools Australia and Stephen O'Doherty, the former CEO, um, uh, who, uh, who's a company I really enjoy. Um, so I rang Stephen and said, look, I'm, I'm wanting to undertake some research. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy the research aspect of study. And, uh, and did he have some ideas? And at the time, Barry McGaw, uh, who's well-known in Australia, particularly uh, in the education field, came back from having worked in the OECD, in the Directorate of Education, and he introduced some concepts around social capital. Um, so when we talk about social capital, there's a couple of different dimensions to that. One is uh, bonding social capital. So that's the social capital where, uh, like you experience in a family, maybe in a church group where there's a, a, a strong social identity, Bridging social capital is where we connect relationally with people who are different from ourselves. They may not hold our own values and beliefs. And Barry McGaw's argument at the time was that he had some concern around independent schooling in, in Australia. And, and 
almost was suggesting that it may be that because of the structures that we allowed to exist, it may be undermining social cohesion in the country. So, so his argument was uh, in independent schooling, because often we're bringing together like-minded people, particularly in Christian schooling, that people, uh, yes, there may be a strong uh, presence of bonding social capital, so good, solid relationships, but the capacity to build relationships beyond and engage with people who are different from ourselves may be compromised because of our educational structures. So I guess I, I was interested in, in what he was saying and, and started asking myself some questions. And Stephen O'Doherty, by the way, had, was the one who actually introduced me to this. He, he'd, he'd become familiar with Barry's writing and, and some of his presentations he was making around the country. So that developed an interest for me around um, if we are really serious about preparing young people from Christian families and, and others to engage with the world and from a Christian paradigm we talk about being salt and light in the world. If we are not able to build bridging social capital, then in fact we are probably doing a disservice to, to, to children and young people that are working, that are in our schools. So I was really interested in finding out, well, is there any truth to what Barry McGaugh is suggesting? Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of literature around at the time. Uh, like, Cardus wasn't on the scene at that stage. Um, Cardus has done some amazing work in that in that area, both overseas and now in Australia. So, so that was uh, not around. And so, you know, there were a lot of people like Barry who were making this claim, um, but I wasn't convinced there was any substance. So there was an opportunity there for some research. And the, as we often say in the research world, Rob, there was a gap in the knowledge, um, and so that created an opportunity for me to do some research. Yes, uh, an itch that needed scratching. Um, yeah, and, I, and obviously, you know, my own research interests are not dissimilar to those. You know, one of the things that we were delighted to find in our own measurement of relationships of, of young people in Christian schools um, was an ability of certain systems and process and structure to encourage relationship across um, division divide, you know, ethnic divide, a religious divide, um, because our, our Christian schools now are made up um, ever more now um, of, of a, a really diverse uh, a context, um, people coming from all sorts of backgrounds. And actually, it was really encouraging to see what I would consider to be, um, but you tell me if I'm wrong, really strong bonding capital with, between people who you know, who didn't necessarily have things of common interest to begin with. Um, now, that, that actually led, you know, subsequent to that, that research, you became interested in some of the things we were doing. And I allude to the fact we were meeting quite regularly, sort of research meetings, and, and, and you conducted some informal inquiry in some of these trends you noticed. Can you tell us just a little about that, that work that actually led to a, a presentation at one of our conferences in Alice Springs a, a couple of years ago? Mm. Actually, Rob, I'm just wondering if we might even backtrack just for a minute. Yeah, please because go, you, just, yeah. you just mentioned then uh, around the, you know, increasingly our schools are bringing together a diverse uh, people, you know, yeah. children, young people from a diverse range of families, and that's absolutely the case, particularly in our skier schools. Um, what was interesting in my, in my own uh, PhD or doctoral research was that um, I actually worked with three schools, so it was multiple case study. Three schools. One of those schools was what we would call a closed enrolment school, predominantly. Two of those schools were open enrolment, and so um, it was really interesting to see. I guess I was wondering, will there actually be a difference uh, in terms of the for these particular graduates coming out of these schools? 
will, will I actually see a difference in the way that they actually engage with people who are different from themselves? And what was really interesting um, is that in actual fact, there wasn't what I'd call a significant difference. But what I did note was that um, there was a small number of graduates from the closed enrolment school where I would say that when they suddenly ended up in, in oh, sorry, and I needed to say that they weren't just closed from the point of view of attending this school, but they also were almost isolated from opportunity to engage with people who were different from themselves. So they they were playing sport in a church competition or a church, you know, and, and, and operating within their own church. So I thought it was really interesting that what they experienced was a degree of cultural adjustment that they had to go through more so than the others. Um, so, but having said all of that, there was not evidence they were unable to build bridging social capital post-school. So I, I thought that was just an interesting aspect of the, of the findings. So coming back to your second question now around um, the, the, the work post having a look at your research, I thought what, what fascinated me was that the, you did the trial research with one of our schools in New South Wales and then we ran the pilot with a school in Victoria and the first round of data that came back said there was a difference, there was a gap uh, between the relational proximity, I think it's the language you use in your research, so the, or the relational strength in one school, um, and there was a substantial difference between the two. So I guess the question that started to form in my own mind was, in the school where there is really strong relationships, what is it that they're doing that enables that to occur? That was the question that really... Now, if I had have had the time to go and do a whole big research project, I would have done it. It would have been great, but I, my wife wouldn't have allowed me to do it. Well, um, but, but just I did do. Just, let's just let's yeah. pause for a moment because there may be people listening to this who think to themselves, "Oh, I'd love to do that." And you know what? We would love to hear from you because we, you know, as as a movement, as an organisation, we're ram full of individuals who just love to support research, invest in mm, it, absolutely and, 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 and good people like yourself who would happily talk to, and I and I would happily talk to and coach individuals who might want to do that research. So see this as an open invitation. You're listening to this podcast, and you think I want to do some research like that into a topic like that? Then contact us, please. Do be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, you were saying, sir, I interrupted you. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, so in terms of that, that uh, so, so we realised that there was this gap. So I did take the opportunity to um, go and visit the school that had the, if you like, the most positive results. Uh, what's the language you use around, um, uh, you use some measures in your research where you talk yeah. about it has a really strong or high yeah, level we- of, yeah, we talk about we talk about relational proximity versus distance. Um, so we so we often refer to closeness or connection. Um, but yeah, um, on our index level, we 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 measure uh, that on a scale of of zero to a hundred, where a hundred represents strong relationships between everyone. So we're looking at a relational proximity score that is high, uh, relationships that are close. That's the language okay. we might use. Yeah. So I went to the school that had the the strongest results in those that early study and and I and I the, the principal at the time was very welcoming and it gave me complete access to staff over the course of a full day um, and set up a range of meetings uh, and so I just met with staff members and asked them to try and get asked them a range of questions it was like semi-structured interviews I mean because you might call it to just try and understand what was happening in that school and and what became really clear uh, I, there were six things that came out of that, and I've just I've got them listed here, so I'll yeah, just read them off my little list. So, it. number one, 
was staff unity was absolutely um, visible. Um, and they would talk about, you know, we are we are just committed to being a united team. And and I would hear them refer to Matthew 18, you know, that whole idea of my brother holds something against me, I go and have it have a conversation with them. Um, or that or the text from Corinthians where it talks about, you know, don't come to this table in an unworthy manner. So it, it's almost like this this commitment to be self-reflective um, and a commitment to one another to if there's conflict. Let's let let's let's front that conflict. If we've got differences in opinion, then let's let's talk that through. So certainly, staff unity was one that that became really clear. It was also interesting that there was a high degree of stability in the staff. So minimal changeover. They, a number of them had been there quite some time. So that would be the number one um, staff staff unity. The second thing that was really evident was that that the mantra. And, it, and apparently it stemmed back to one of the principals had been in the school many years before who used to often say that every child should be known. Every sharp child should be known. And so they, they structured everything around that idea. And so every child had an anchor point with a staff member. So even in secondary where often they're seeing multiple specialists Every child knew that there was this one person who'd be looking out for me. And I, and I thought that was really important in terms of what I saw. So that's number two. Number three, there was a really strong relational culture. So there was this commitment to making sure that this was a safe place for staff, but equally this was a safe place for students. And there was an absolute commitment to that. Uh, number four, there was a commitment uh, what I would call a relational commitment. Um, and, and so this is actually at strategy level, that in actual fact, a lot of the strategy, so even in terms of the strategic plan, there were questions being asked around, how can we actually build relation, to use your language, uh, Rob, from your research, how can we build relational proximity? How can we actually build strong connections between students and between students and staff? And interestingly, just if I step back for a moment into my PhD research, one of the things that I, I noted in terms of the where a school that had profound impact on the development of a child in terms of social and civic development, they had uh, adopted a, an approach to pastoral care that meant that wherever they could, uh, a staff member was, if you like, anchored to a student in year seven when they entered high school and would actually track that child right through until the end of year 12. And so there was this capacity to build strength of relationship over time. And so, so I think that when we talk about relational commitment, it is about building strategy that actually builds strong relationships. Um, number five, uh, relational pedagogy. So thinking about how it is that we actually engage in teaching and learning. I mean, I've seen over my years um, some appalling practice that I know goes on all of the time that actually just undermines relationship and actually doesn't treat children with respect. Let me give you an example of that. I remember sitting in the back, back of a classroom because I was tandem teaching at the time with, a, with another staff member and um, all the students had just done a quiz or a test, you know, sort of end of week test. It was a science class. And, um, and this teacher who I was working with actually had been running this class for a number of months and I was kind of asked to come in and just – uh, do some support work. This was an outstanding teacher, by the way, really capable teacher. 
And so um, obviously it was a very efficient way of being able to get the job done. But what she basically did is um, did all of the marking and then the next day came into the class and then started reading out the results that the students got and was handing out the papers. And this little Indigenous boy called Willie, who I'm sitting next to, I just watched his whole demeanour change. His face dropped and it was like he was just devastated that this was going to actually happen. And, and I guess it's those sorts of things where, where if we have a relational pedagogy, it's like we're looking to build into the build life and hope into ch- children all the time and we're challenging any practice that would undermine that. And so I think relational pedagogy says, you know what, relationships actually matter and, and how I teach matters. Um, in my own writing, I describe that distinction in that moment, you know, and, and what undergirds the decision to go either way as a classroom built on acceptance and not approval. And so the, yeah, minute, yeah, you, the, minute, you, the minute you start and, yeah, hand out a piece of work like that and, and publicise grade and achievement, what you're saying is there's a bunch of people here who, who have met my standard, who I approve of, um, mm. who, who, who get into my club today. Um, and, of yeah. course, you naturally divide yourself and, 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 that, and those students and you encourage them to divide um, amongst themselves too. That's mm. really powerful, Graham. And, and the sixth, please. Uh, well, actually, just while you yeah, mentioned please. that, yeah, yeah. On, on number five, um, yeah. I, I was just thinking back to to that particular situation in the classroom. And I remember afterwards having a conversation with the teacher and just saying, did you happen to notice the demeanour change in young Willie when that actually happened? And when I pointed out what had happened, she, she was just, Really? You know, she's completely surprised and and then devastated that she'd actually had that impact on a child without realising. And I, I guess the lesson for me in that moment was there are so many things that we just do by matter of practice that we've – well, we do that because we've always done it. And we sometimes don't um, kind of ask ourselves the question around, well, is this practice having a negative impact in terms of the, the social development of the child, their sense of identity and who they are and all those sorts of things. So I think that's important. Um, and the final one is social literacy. Um, uh, there was a fellow called Jerry Cleveland. I, I haven't sort of had much contact with him in recent years, but a number of years ago, he was an ex-police um, officer from, I think, Canada or the US um, who'd got into the academic world, was touring around a little bit. And I remember him talking about working with uh, struggling children and young people um, in his days in the police force. And, he's, and he used a line that I'll never forget. He said, if they can't say it, if they can't speak it, they can't deal with it. And and I, in some of the more recent work I've, I was doing in higher education, um, we used to talk a lot about this idea of social literacy, the language of relationships. And I guess when I went into this school, I realised that there was a, in terms of the school that had really strong relationships happening amongst their student body and, and within the staff and so on, was that there was a really strong commitment to actually um, supporting students in social development, teaching them the language of conflict. How do we deal with conflict? How do we actually build friendships? Um, so, so I think that there's probably some work that we can do around social literacy and the language of, of relationship. Mm, that's absolutely outstanding, Graham. Um, what I love about... Uh, our discussions today is that for those listening, these are real practical things. They're handholds that people can start and um, ask questions about, read more about, um, and thinking even now about how 
um, we ought to probably build on these six things and point people in the direction of, of practical strategies, approaches to, to develop some of these systems, process, structure, skills, capacities in, in staff, in schools. This is uh, uh, just so great, Graham. And, um, and I know people listening to this will have found that really useful um, to hear. Um, tell me just, you know, obviously post that conference and beyond, uh, I find myself now in Australia having moved from the UK and you... Um, are in a very different role um, as well. You've 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 moved to Swan Christian now. Um, itself a model that I'm familiar with. Um, uh, 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 what we might call in the UK uh, an academy or trust model, an alliance model, where schools come together um, uh, to to work more closely, uh, more formally. Um, so I wonder whether. You might just describe, you know, you know the, the context you now find yourself in and, and perhaps how all this work that we've just described over the, the last wee while has, has influenced your, your, your own leadership across this network of wonderful schools that, that you're leading and managing. Well, I certainly, uh, it's an honour and privilege, the work that I currently do as, uh, as the CEO of this one group of schools. And there's no doubt, uh, based on my research and, and the work that we're doing now in schools, that relationships are front and centre um, of everything that we are actually doing. Um, I mean, we, we're we actually thinking deeply at the moment around our mission and vision and what that actually looks like for our whole association. And I think at the heart of that, where we will land, is that it is actually around the whole idea of equipping and empowering students to flourish. I think that that's where we're going to land. And in order for that to occur, what we certainly know from the research and your own work, Rob, in terms of relationships, uh, is that if students have strong relationships, have a sense of belonging, it actually makes a huge difference to their capacity to learn, to grow, um, and to be equipped for the world beyond what they experience in school. And of course, their life uh, in the moment as well. And of course, that includes you know, development in the social dimension and the spiritual dimension. So... It was really interesting, actually. I, I think when I look across our schools, I see a commitment to this, uh, and and probably the COVID experience probably highlighted it, because um, as we started to have to shift into online learning, one of the questions that our staff were constantly asking was, how can we continue to engage children and young people in our schools in relationship with us? Um, how do we give them a sense of belonging? And out of that came some really creative practice. So, for example, one school, and I thought this was just amazing, they actually developed, uh, had, a, had produced a large jigsaw. Um, so this was would take up a huge space on the wall of a classroom. In fact, that's where it is now. And they posted out to each student a, a piece of the jigsaw and it, said, and, and, and it went with a little bit of text that said, you are important to us and while we're not together physically right now, we want to remain connected with you and when you return to school, we want you to bring your piece of jigsaw and we'll put it together. Uh, and, the, and the picture was actually one of, it's like the school motto and it had some images of the students and so on. So I guess it was all about trying to promote this idea of we want you to belong. We want you to be a part of this community. And, uh, and interestingly, uh, just yesterday, I was down at one of our other schools and we were looking at some data around a whole lot of areas, including relationships. Um, it wasn't actually relational schools data. But it was just some work that we do across all of our schools in terms of survey. And, and we were looking at the fact that some of our secondary students in this particular school, we were a bit concerned about the number that were feeling that they didn't really belong or, in fact, there's some questions around do I feel safe 
and we were just all concerned about the the, the little bit of um, I guess almost growth that's happened in that area. So so as a team, I guess it's about now monitoring that data and asking ourselves questions around what can we do to actually bring about change in this area. So I think. I mean, I think, as you know, Rob, I cheer on the work that you've been doing with relational schools because that's another mechanism to be able to monitor what's actually happening and then work out how we respond because we just know relationship matters in in learning. Mm. Um, and what fascinates me about that is 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 not only the posture of you as as the leader of the group, but just the notion of the group as well, because you are what I would call an alliance in the truest sense of the word. You know, and the word alliance itself comes from um, the Latin ligari meaning to bind or tie it actually spoke it's a 13th century word it spoke of um you know noble families coming together in in a, in a in a bond in some kind of marriage or unity and one of the things that i've observed in australian particularly independent school culture even independent christian school culture is 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 how sometimes schools can be quite siloed and so skia the swan group is a is a a very different expression of that. Here is here is a group of people who are doing something together, and I just wondered whether you might. One of my favourite quotes is um, by um, you know one of the, the leading lights of, of the EL movement in America, Ron Berger, who says that you know no student culture, student relationships will never outstrip staff culture. That it's modelled, it's the tone of it set. Um, from, from the very beginning. I just wonder whether you just briefly talk to me about just, you know, how you came together as a group of schools. What, what prompted that? And perhaps, you know, wh- whether you see that emerging as a model elsewhere, um, a more common model that we might see in other states um, mm. in the future. Certainly. So so in terms of the SWAN group, I mean, I've only been involved for the last 12 months, but I've I've met with a number of the pioneers, tried to get a bit of a sense of the story of this place. And it it started from very humble beginnings with a group of parents who just felt that they wanted to establish a Christian school for their children. And uh, that was over 35 years ago now. So one little school, Midland Christian School. Um, and then from there, they started a secondary school, Swan Christian, what's now known as Swan Christian College. Uh, they then planted uh, Kalamunda Christian School, Mundaring Christian School. And so there was this growth that actually happened sort of one school after another and communities approaching skier saying, look, we'd like to have a school in our area and so it would grow from there. Um, there. There is one school in the network that was actually operated independently and became part of part of this group. Um, and, and certainly my observation from um, across the country is that um, schools that are, that, that are operating in isolation often struggle with the regulatory burden that's, that, that's imposed. Uh, it's really difficult. And um, certainly what I'm seeing is that a number of schools now are looking for opportunities to join into networks. And we certainly have been approached and uh, haven't, we haven't been in a position to be able to take on any new schools uh, in the time that I've been here. But I would be hopeful that in the years ahead, that we will be well-placed to be able to um, welcome in new schools who might want to become part of our network. Mm. And, and, I, and, 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 uh, and, I, and I would uh, I will look forward to those, those um, yeah, that moment of growth for you um, because I think um, I've loved engaging with you as practitioner, as thinker, um, as leader in this space, understanding the power of social networks to gather, to bind, to tie, 
you're walking that now with a group, leading a group like that. And I think we've got a lot to learn from you in this Christian schooling movement, um, in independent schools, um, in this field about how we do this better. So Graham Cross, thanks so much for your time today, for just taking us on a on a bit of a thought journey there. And and I hope we can talk more about this and uh, and maybe take this to another chapter. So thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Rob. Cheers. <laughs>